and thank you again for being here this morning. Today we're going to focus on that part of the Apostles' Creed that says, on the third day he rose again. And we're especially going to consider what the resurrection of Jesus means for us. It certainly means, as expressed in the Creed, uh, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. That's certainly the most important thing that Jesus' death and resurrection means for us. But does the resurrection of Jesus Christ have significance for your life right now, right here on the earth? And I think that it does. I think the answer is absolutely it does. And I'd like to explore that a bit today. Recently, I uh, read a book by Ben Sass. Title of the book was simply Them. And in the book, he notes that social scientists have identified four primary drivers of human happiness. You'll see them on the screen in the form of four questions. And they feel that uh, being able to, to answer these questions positively uh, has a, a lot to do with the contentment you enjoy and happiness in life on earth. The first question is this. Do you have family you love and who love you? Uh, secondly, do you have friends you trust and confide in? And we might say these questions have to do with um, our identity, uh, our being accepted, um, our being known and cared for, our security. The third question is this. Do you have work that matters, callings that benefit your neighbors? Do you have a sense of purpose in life? And then fourth, do you have a worldview that can make sense of suffering and death? We might say that that has to do with our perspective. So our identity, our purpose in life, our perspective. Does the resurrection of Jesus have anything to do with those three things? And I think the answer is yes, absolutely. For those who've embraced Jesus' gift of salvation, for those who truly know him as Lord, the resurrection of Jesus provides these things for us. Provides, first of all, a new identity. In writing to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul uh, goes into great detail on what the sacrifice of Jesus and his dying on the cross and his resurrection has done for those who, who are believers, who are his followers. And uh, in chapter 2, he writes these words, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that is, we were spiritually dead, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now that's a remarkable thing. Even though we're still living here on this earth, God considers us raised up with Christ and seated in heavenly places with Christ. As this teaching unfolds in the beginning of the book of Ephesians, what we, we see coming clear is that God has given all those of us who are followers of Jesus an in Christ identity or an in him identity by adoption. 
Look very carefully at the verses on the screen. I'm going to read through several verses, and I would ask you to look for the phrase, in him, or in Christ, or in the beloved. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved with a capital B, that being Jesus. In Him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him, that is, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. I know that's a lot of verses to, to consider, but did you note the number of times words were used like in Him, in Christ, in the Beloved, adoption, what Paul is teaching us is that because of the suffering and death and the resurrection of Jesus, those who are in Christ have a new identity. You are identified with Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. That's why when Ashlyn and Michelle were baptized a moment ago, when we dipped them under the water, I said, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, raised to newness of life, in the likeness of his resurrection. You and I have an identity with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Now, this identity is expressed in a number of ways throughout the New Testament, but one that particularly, I think, expresses the fact that if you are in Christ, you are known and loved and cared for is that of sheep and shepherd. Jesus said... I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Have you ever wondered if you were known and loved and cared for? It may be that your earthly family, uh, you, you don't have a great relationship with them. And maybe you don't feel loved and cared for by them. But the Bible assures you because of Jesus' death and resurrection, and you're being in Christ, that you're deeply loved. You're deeply known and deeply cared for. It's one of his sheep. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. There's no greater security than being secure in the arms of God, in the arms of Jesus. My Father, Jesus said, who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The resurrection of Jesus gives us a new spiritual family, members of this flock, 
called the body of Christ, where Jesus is the good shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep, the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Because of his death and resurrection, believers have a new identity. You ever thought about your identity in Christ? Secondly, believers have a new purpose in life. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 goes on to explain that because of Jesus' death in his resurrection, not only have we been saved through faith, and Paul notes this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. He goes on to say this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, you may think you have no idea whatsoever of God's purpose for your life. These words assure each one of us that God has a purpose for us, a unique purpose, I think. I think there are good works that God has prepared for you to do and called you to do that no one else can do as well as you can do. Because God has planned that you do those things in life. You may not know what they are. But if you're in Christ, you indeed have a purpose. You're his ambassador. You're his witness. God's purpose, however, is not just good works to be done. It includes ongoing life transformation. We read this in the book of Romans when the Apostle Paul writes these remarkable words. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, that is, he planned beforehand, to be conformed <coughs> excuse me, to the image of his Son. Now think about that for a moment. God has planned that you, if you are in Christ, will be increasingly throughout your life shaped, made more like, conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. This is God's plan. And I believe this is true. God is far more concerned with who you are becoming in Him than what you are doing for Him. So many people live their lives with this idea, I've got to clean up my life, I've got to work harder, I've got to go to church, I've got to do more, do more, do more. God is far more concerned with who you are becoming in Him than what you are doing in Him. The doing flows out of the becoming. You are first created in Christ before the doing of good works. And so God's goal for you and me, for each and every one of us, is to be increasingly fashioned, shaped, conformed to the likeness of Jesus. It's an interesting thing in Scripture, Old and New Testament, an image is used of God, uh, that of a potter, making pottery. The Apostle Paul takes that image in the New Testament when he says, uh, we have this treasure, the presence of the Holy Spirit, in jars of clay. He calls our body jars of clay. And later he's writing to uh, his disciple Timothy, and he talks about varying degrees of, of good works done for God, and he refers to us as uh, vessels, and some being vessels fit for the master's use, doing stuff for God. Now, we think about that image. I, I've found over the years that there are a lot of Christians who 
feel like because of something in their past, some failure, some stumbling, some sin, some brokenness, something they've done, that though they're saved, though they're Christians, they will forever be second-class Christians. Vessels who probably won't be used in a, in a great way by God. That is a wrong way to understand your identity in Christ and your purpose in Christ. On the screen, you will see a picture of a bowl. It's a unique art form, a Japanese art form that's called uh, kintsugi or kintsukuroi, which means to repair with gold. The story is told of a Japanese military ruler in the mid-1500s who, who owned a bowl that he, he loved very much, and one day at a special gathering he had, one of his servants dropped the bowl, and it broke into five pieces. Well, there was great concern for what was going to happen to the servant, but he, he was forgiven, and the bowl was repaired, and actually became more treasured afterward because it had been broken and repaired. And so this form of art uh, uses a special lacquer to repair pottery that's been deliberately broken. And then this lacquer is dusted with powdered gold, silver, or platinum so that the vessel is actually more beautiful for having been broken and repaired. And I think it's a beautiful picture of what God can do with a broken life. Do you know when Shanice read that passage from Matthew chapter 28 about the people who were first at Mary's tomb, that one of the first was Mary Magdalene? We don't know much about Mary's past, but in the ending of Mark's gospel, the scripture refers to Mary Magdalene as one out of whom Jesus had cast seven demons. We don't know what her life was like, but apparently it was rough and bad. And yet God appointed her to be one of the first of his witnesses at the empty tomb, forever honored, forever uh, remembered that way. Do not think of yourself as one who is incapable of being used by God in a mighty way. The Apostle Paul, who wrote all these verses we're reading today in the book of Ephesians, the book of Romans, he was a persecutor of Christians. He had Christian blood on his hands prior to his conversion to Christ. Did God use the Apostle Paul? Of course he did. There's nothing in your life that cannot be atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. If you are in Christ, you have a new identity and you have a new purpose. And then thirdly, the resurrection provides his followers with a new perspective, living life in the light of eternity. Notice again, we read these verses at the very beginning, but I'd like to look at them again. They're so important. The apostle Paul wrote, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, spiritually dead, made us alive with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ. Now notice these words. So that in the coming ages, 
he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's talking about life after this life, life in eternity, life in heaven. What are we going to be doing there? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about that. But we know for sure that in the coming ages, God is going to be increasingly unfolding before us, revealing to us the immeasurable riches of his grace in Christ Jesus. And so as a follower of Jesus with a new identity and a new purpose in life, you live with this new perspective that this life is not all there is. So that when you face suffering in life, you know the suffering is temporary. Because everything in this life will eventually pass. The, the Apostle Peter calls this a living hope. You see it in the words he wrote on the screen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This living hope is a perspective about life that it is eternal. It goes beyond this life. Now, the Apostle Paul, uh, throughout his ministry, would cling to this hope because of the immense suffering he faced, as he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. This whole chapter is about the resurrection of Jesus and he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's useless. And you are still in your sins. And those also who've fallen asleep, meaning they've died, in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What he's saying is that this hope with which we live gives us perspective toward even the most difficult things, the challenging things, the sufferings and hardships of life. We don't have all the answers for the why of suffering in this life. We do know that for the believer, suffering will ultimately end. Our, some of our church staff uh, ministry leaders on our church staff have been reading a book together in a, over the last uh, couple months. It's called Growing Young, and it's the collaboration of several writers about um, how to help the church be a place that um, particularly teenagers love to be, different strategies for that. So we're seeking that, studying that together. And in one of the chapters, I was really struck by a a true story, what the authors present as a true story in this book, Growing Young. And it's about a 13-year-old um, named Steve. And Steve was at church one day, and after the service finished, he went up to speak to the pastor. Steve was intelligent, he was inquisitive, and he said, Pastor, I got a question. Um, if I raise my finger, does God know which finger I'm going to raise before I raise it? And the pastor said, yes, God knows everything. And he pulled out a magazine. It was a life magazine. So this story was some few decades ago, and this was a, quite a popular magazine, a life magazine. 
but they had done a story on famine in Africa, and there were starving children pictured on the front. And Steve was very troubled just by the picture of this, and he said, does God know about this and what's going to happen to those kids? You see where he was going, right? And the pastor just briefly said, yes, I know you don't understand. God knows everything. That was the end of the conversation. But the authors say, Steve left church that day never to worship again in a Christian congregation. What if the pastor had heard the question behind Steve's question? If God is good and he's all-powerful and he knows everything, why, why this suffering in life? I mean, that's one of the most difficult questions there is. But what if the pastor had at least acknowledged the difficulty and said, Steve, hard as it is to, to understand, um, we know certain things. We know God didn't create the world with starving children and suffering. Everything was perfect in the Garden of Eden. We know that humanity sinned against God, rebelled against Him, and sin entered the world. And uh, uh, people began fighting one another and hurting and hating one another. And in the midst of this, God called a person named Abraham who would believe in him. And through Abraham and his descendants, he began to teach them and prepare them and promise a Messiah. He gave them laws by which to live. He gave them laws that would guide them to care for the poor and help to feed the hungry. Many of the prophets in the Bible speak about the need for God's people to be doing this. And ultimately, he brings his son, a Savior, Jesus, and he atones for our sins so that through faith in him we can be brought into an eternal relationship with God where there will be no mourning or crying or pain or suffering. And in the meantime, Steve, he gives us believers in this life, on this earth, a purpose to fulfill, to take the gospel to the hurting, to the poor, to feed the hungry, to help the poor. Steve, you're an intelligent young guy. What purpose might God have for you to help with this? What if he'd said something like that? The authors of the book Growing Young note that we might have heard of Steve. His last name was Jobs. Follower of Jesus may not be able to answer all the hard questions of life. But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are given a new identity. It is an in Christ identity. We are given a new purpose in life, created in Christ to do good works, to be conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus, to reflect his love and goodness to the world, and to live with a new perspective. It is an eternal perspective Eternal perspective toward all things in life, our wealth, our use of time, sometimes helps me to think about eternity with a little diagram. Uh, you know, the Bible teaches us that God has always existed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has eternally existed. One God is three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and He always will be. God created time as we know it. If you read the book of Genesis, that becomes clear that God created time and seasons. And God exists above and outside of and is not constrained by time as we know it. God is eternal. 
and he shares his eternal life and joy and salvation with us in Christ. But he gives us in this life on earth opportunities to serve him, to join in his work, to take the message of Jesus to people who've not heard it, to feed the hungry, to help the poor. The fact is that this life is not all there is. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us a new identity in this life, a new purpose in this life, and a new perspective toward this life, a living hope, as the Apostle Peter talked about it. I am sometimes surprised at how little thought people give to eternity, even near the end of life. Had opportunities, not a lot, but a few over the years, to talk to people who were certainly in their final years of life, but had no thought of the great eternity before them, rather were consumed with things like their money. Some years ago, a man spoke here in Winston-Salem named Norman Williams. Norman Williams had lived through what at that time was the greatest uh, disaster in the history of aviation, the collision of two jumbo jets. He lived through it. He was not a Christian at the time, but he talks about being on that plane as it was burning and seeing people around him dying. And he said what shocked him was to hear people at the door of death cursing God, blaspheming God, he realized that people often die just as they have lived. He was saved through the disaster, and what he saw and heard was instrumental in his coming to faith in Jesus Christ and embracing his salvation. It's important that we live with this eternal perspective that life on earth is not all there is. Suffering will have an end. But our opportunities to take the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel, to use the talents and gifts God has given us to feed the hungry, to help the poor, those will end too. I've got a little plaque on the wall of my office here around the corner that says, only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. May we use this life to give him honor and glory as we come to a close this morning, I want to raise one final question, and that is this. Have you taken the all-important step of personally receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? The Son of God left heaven, lived as a baby, lived as a man, suffered unspeakable pain and suffering on the cross, and beyond that, the agony we cannot understand, the agony of having the sin of the world pour upon the sinless Son of God. And then, on the third day, raised from the dead. The Apostle Paul said it this way, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that does not mean mouthing empty words. In Paul's day in Rome, the confession Jesus is Lord rather than Caesar is Lord, could cost you your life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified
and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. As we close now, I'd like to pray and give you the opportunity to do that this morning. If you have not truly embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, let us pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for your presence here this morning. I pray now for the Holy Spirit to work in the heart and life of anyone here who has not yet embraced your salvation. Would you speak strongly to that person about what you have done for us in your sacrifice on the cross? you bring that person to the awareness that they can be identified with Christ with a new identity, purpose and perspective toward life and if that's you this morning I'm going to invite you right where you are to say a prayer asking Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior you can pray words like these, dear God I do believe that I have sinned, that I need your forgiveness. I believe Jesus died on the cross and you raised him from the dead to be my Savior and Lord. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Jesus, I receive you this moment as my Lord. Give me the power to follow you all the days of my life. 